Genre. And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Harold and Chester from Benicula, a rabbit tale of mystery. And joining me for the discussion is returning guest, John Dorowski. Welcome, John. Thrilled to be here to discuss one of my favorite books. I imagine many of our listeners have read Benicula, which is a 1979 novel by Deborah and James Howe. It tells the story of a cat and dog who believe the bunny rabbit that their owners have recently adopted is really a vampire rabbit. And that's about it. <laughs> there's, there's not much more to it than that. It's not a long story. No, no, it's very quick. And there's, it's very charming, though. I remember mm. reading this when I was a kid, and I have read it aloud, I think, in its entirety to my daughter when she was younger. And my sons, I think, have listened to the book on tape. I still read the bedtime stories. So they just never <laughs> asked me to read that one, everyone. Uh, <laughs> uh, so... Um, this would this came out in 79 so a few years before i was born so it was definitely floating around the children's library section when i was a kid but it is still a presence that i see in um like children's library displays this time of year um or in i think it's even been in the scholastic book order uh for my kids at various points probably so yeah it's it's uh still has a presence um decades on from its original publication do you remember when you first read it yes so, as I said, this is a um, one of my favorite books. It's a very important book to me. Um, Joseph, you've known me your whole life. Yes. Uh, would you describe Would you describe me and really our family as bibliophile? Yes. Yeah, you are a bookish sort, John. Yes. Um, for listeners who don't know, I'm finishing up a dissertation which involves reading hundreds of texts and synthesizing an original idea based on them. I've edited two essay collections now with more on the way, but in second and third grade, I was failing reading comprehension. I was getting D's and F's on tests, much to the frustration of my parents. Um, you know, it just was not clicking of retention or understanding the stories or what the, what they were really asking in those questions on reading comprehension tests. Um, but I remember in third grade, we received an assignment, uh, a group assignment that as a group, we were supposed to take a story that we had read and create a play on it uh, or either a scene from the text or create an original scene based on the characters uh, that we would then perform in class. I have absolutely no idea what my group did. <laughs> no recollection at all. I remember distinctly one of the other groups where... And, you know, this is third grade in class. We're not projecting our voices. We're not uh, really acting. So I don't recall being able to hear what their scene was, but they had one of the people dressed as a rabbit and they had these uh, cut out carrots on the floor that they would turn over to be white. And something about that intrigued me. Intrigued me enough that I went and asked what that story was and then asked my parents to get me that story. <laughs> and I remember you know, the first few times reading it, it was struggle to read through that, you know, this is less than a hundred pages, but it was still work for me, but I wanted to read it. And from there, 
I read the sequels and then I started reading other things. And so for me, I see a direct line from Benicula to where I am now. And uh, your your dissertation involves the Gothic. <laughs> and, uh, you know. Source of my interest in uh, Gothic and horror. Mm-hmm. I did not know all of that at all, even though I've known you my whole life. <laughs> so I just learned something about my brother by doing this podcast. Yes. And so that's might be why you read it as a child as it was floating in the house as I had copies of the at that point the original four. Uh, the other sequels came later. Right. Uh, yeah, including one uh, more recently. Um, well, we'll talk about that. Well, let, yes. Let's go ahead and talk about the trivia. So, Benicula was co-authored by James and Deborah Howe, though Deborah Howe died of cancer at the age of 31 before the book was published. James and Deborah wrote the book as a form of therapy together as she was staying at a hospital for cancer treatments and he was at her bedside. Um, and a library of children's books at the hospital is named after her, uh, where where she was being treated. I knew that Bonicula was by James and Deborah Howe. And I, I remember noticing that the sequels that I have read, I haven't read all of them, but like uh, that those ones were just by James Howe, but I did not know that she had died before the book was published. I, you know, I did not know either until uh, probably the 20th anniversary edition where he gives a lengthy story about how they met and uh, then began writing the, characters and her cancer which when it was diagnosed was terminal but still prolonged it was still several months of being in the hospital That's... while they worked on this work partly worked on this book yeah i mean this is a really affecting story that makes me yeah. feel differently about the work um there are times where you find out uh, about a work and you, or the, the author behind a work and it can have no effect. Sometimes it can be a very negative effect where you're like, oh, they're a jerk. Uh, <laughs> and then you, you like the word, you know, like you have trouble engaging with the, the text after that. Uh, but that's an affecting story that makes me, you know, want to go revisit the text even more. And, and uh, you know, just my feelings about Manicula are different when I learned that behind the same mm-hmm. story. Um, let's see. So James Howe, um, since this book came out in 1979 he's authored 90 books which is so many books i I didn't know it was that many i have a few of his but i did not know it was 90 yeah and one of his series called the misfits um which is about uh he i think he calls that one a a ya book or middle grade you know it's it's a little bit higher level than this but it's about uh kind of anti-bullying and issues of identity uh in junior high and high school i believe but out of that one he has or it's somewhat responsible for an anti-bullying campaign uh at schools that is um usually labeled as no name calling weeks but it is uh, highlighting the harmful effects of bullying in schools uh so the, the students read the book called the misfits and then there's like a whole week for the entire school to have an anti-bullying campaign that he is involved in uh, as the author. So well done, James Howe mm-hmm. on that. Um, he did come out as uh, gay. And in 2011, he married a lawyer named Mark Davis. Um, we mentioned already that Bonicula has several sequels. I love the titles of the Bonicula books. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the six direct sequels are Howliday Inn, The Celery Stalks at Midnight, that is the winner. Like I, the other ones are fun, but nothing is ever going to top the celery stalks at midnight. Um, Nighty nightmare return to holiday Inn. Benicula strikes again and Benicula meets Edgar Allan Crow. That one is a runner up. <laughs> um, 
And Howe has also written a spinoff series, Tales from the House of Panicula. And there are also beginner reading, uh, beginning reader books, some of which uh, are um, picture books. So like Panicula, and these are under the umbrella of Panicula and Friends, ready to read, um, is that series. Panicula, uh, like I said, has been around for a very long time in children's literature uh, and still has a large impact. So not unexpectedly, there have been some adaptations. In 1982, there was a loose animated adaptation produced um just one like after school special movie basically uh and in 2016 another loose animated adaptation was produced uh, but this was an entire series that was produced for cartoon network and calling these loose is being generous they include the name banicula and it is a vampire bunny then harold and chester the cat and dog are there yes Beyond that, you, you're in starting terms to... of tone, even <laughs> like genre. Yeah, <laughs> they're not not really landing where where Benicula is. Um, there have been two different stage adaptations produced, and just last month, at the time of this recording, Benicula, the graphic novel, was released. Uh, there's also a Benicula pop up book. Oh, I did not know about that one. Uh, so, in some ways, like Benicula has become a, like a mini franchise mostly in the book world but mm-hmm. little little bits uh you know of of attempts at adaptation now um because well, my kids liked Benicula, i remember finding that 1982 adaptation on youtube and watching it with my daughter and i have the dvds of the cartoon network uh animated series that they will sometimes watch uh you know around halloween some episodes of those um but Tonally, it's a very different experience than reading the book. I I remember, um, so our local library, for a while, I don't know if it still does, had one of the best video collections in the state. And uh, when we moved out here, they did have the Benicula special on VHS, and we borrowed it once. And um, I remember watching and saying, this is nothing like the book, so probably then forgot most of it. <laughs> I had a vague memory of something that I rewatched it for uh, th- this today and my memory of it was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, I think I've seen an episode of the Cartoon Network one, though it's mostly available on Boomerang. And since that's a separate service and I don't want to pay for another service right now, I have not watched a lot of it. But I remember the episode I watched, I was like, this isn't the tone or the stuff I want from a Benicula adaptation. Yeah. So we're, we're that, like circ- Harold is very much a goofy. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, a, like goofy comedy relief. Uh, there's kind of a, a imagine uh, what's the girl from Beetlejuice. Like she's the, mm-hmm. the pet owner. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, like I said, this book is very important to me. I uh, had a stuffed animal dog, uh, one of the pound puppies for those of you who remember those. I named it Harold after the character in here. Um, I have so, a vague memory of Harold. Yes. From our childhood, that, that, that stuffed animal. Yeah. And so um, what I'm looking for in a Benicula adaptation is going to hew closely to the book. Yeah. And we'll, we might circle back around to talk about some of the uh, changes made for these adaptations because they can be hilarious. 
Yes. All right. Well, before we move on to that summary of the book, so we can really delve into this, uh, we want to thank you for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank any of you who support us on Patreon. We invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least $8 per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media that we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. John, would you like to provide us with a summary of Bonicula, a rabbit tale of mystery. I would. So it opens with a note to the, an editor's note uh, with the editor explaining that he received this manuscript from a dog. Uh, and then the, in the note from the dog, it explains, you know, I'm a herald. This story happened to my family. I've changed the names to protect them. Um, but all of this did happen. Which you know echoes Dracula in the epistolatory format from there. So, but the story proper. Harold the dog and Chester the cat are settling in when Mister and Missus Monroe and their sons Pete and Toby arrive home from the movie theater. Toby had sat on something in the theater, which they discover was a shoebox with a bit of dirt and a black and white bunny with a note tied around its neck. Harold, who has a bit of Russian bloodhound ancestry, recognizes the language on the note. As from an obscure dialect from the Carpathian mountain region, it says, take good care of my baby. As the Monroes found the bunny at a screening of Dracula, they used the portmanteau of bunny and Dracula to name him Bunicula. Chester, while reading the fall of the house of Usher, notices that Bunicula's black markings look rather like a cape and that instead of buck teeth, he has two sharp fangs. Chester begins to stay up at night to keep an eye on the bunny. As Bunicula sleeps all day, Harold concludes that bunnies are cute, but generally useless. A few days later, Chester reports that the previous night, Bunicula had gotten out of his cage, gone to the kitchen, and opened the refrigerator. That morning, Mr. Monroe finds a white, dry tomato in their vegetable drawer, as though all the juice had been sucked out of it. Chester is convinced that Bunicula is a vampire bunny. But when he tries to communicate this to the Monroes, it does not go well. Chester lays out all the white vegetables, but the family th- thinks it must be some chemical causing them to turn white and plan to change supermarkets. Then Chester, having somehow tied a towel around his neck like a cape, <laughs> pretends to rise from the dead and bite Harold on the neck. The Monroes believe Chester is being playful and wearing the towel because he is cold, so they put him in his kitty sweater. Chester spends the night warding off Bunicula with garlic, which he has somehow strewn around the house. In the morning, Mrs. Monroe gives Chester a vigorous bath to get rid of the smell. The Monroes are going to have steak for dinner that night, which gives Chester an idea. Chester lays the steak across Bunicula and attempts to drive it through the bunny's heart. When the Monroes discover this, they become very worried about Chester's recent actions. Chester starts being on his best behavior, but this does not include talking to Harold. Harold knows this means Chester is planning something, but in the meantime, he starts to uh, turn to Bunicula for companionship, finding the bunny to be a good listener. One day, he notices that Bunicula isn't looking well. That night, Harold is horrified to discover Chester using garlic to block Bunicula from the kitchen, starving the little bunny. Harold argues that Bunicula isn't hurting anyone by draining a few vegetables, but Chester warns, Today, vegetables. Tomorrow, the world. 
Harold is now determined to get Beniculus something to eat, and that dinner's salad seems like a perfect opportunity. Who will notice a few white vegetables beneath the dressing? Harold gets the bunny out of his cage, but as Beniculus is about to eat, Chester rushes in and attacks. Then Harold jumps on the ta- up on the table, sending the salad blow- bowl flying. Harold walks to call the family, who knows that Benicula isn't looking very well. A visit to the vet puts Benicula on a liquid diet, while Chester is diagnosed as emotionally overwrought. And everything returns to almost normal in the Monroe household. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the summary. Um, not the trickiest <laughs> story to summarize that we ever tackled on the protagonist podcast. Uh, but there's something just charming in the simplicity of... Uh, a bunny rabbit that drinks vegetable juice <laughs> and leaves white drained vegetables behind. Yes. Um, and I think so like uh, my kids all know the idea of Dracula and vampires. And I don't know from where always. <laughs> I, I was thinking about this too. Yeah. Of where did uh, I got, where did I first encounter it? And also like nowadays there's, so much of using the appearance of vampires or other monsters for children's entertainment. There's monster high dolls. There's, there's uh, a zombies. Disney, yeah. There's Disney. a Disney junior show with the vampire lead. I don't know its name. There's the hotel Transylvania. Yeah. Uh, film series. Um, yeah. Like one of the Disney channel original and, movies now is zombies. Right. And, you know, I'm sure growing up that several of the shows we watched did some, um, monster parody for Halloween. I mean, I still remember an episode of Chippendale Rescue Rangers that was Hound of the Baskervilles. That's where I, I remember learning about Hound of the Baskervilles from that. And then later on reading the Sherlock Holmes story and being like, this is that episode of Rescue Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we- yeah, like, like Children's Entertainment has very often done this, uh, you know, uh, ad- adapting classics that are in public domain, uh, adapting... <laughs> Uh, monsters, but uh, you know, retelling it in a in a safe way for consumption. But I think in a lot of instances, that is where children first get exposed to the idea of some of the the classic monsters. And we should give a quick shout out for the sake of producer Andrew to Wishbone, which I'm sure oh, did yeah. several of these stories. Oh, must must have yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. This like gives enough relation of like they they were at a screening of dracula and references to what vampires do and some of the lore around vampires that well it's like they go to a screening of of dracula and there's an assumption that the reader already knows what dracula is and what vampires are right but but then chester gives uh to harold like some background of like the the garlic and all you know and the steak um that we get some vampire lore being given to kids mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in this book. So I think that's an interesting part of this is this idea of um, like exposure to the, you know, the, the Dracula story, you know, uh, can, can emerge from, from reading this book, but does the book actually function as like a parody of Dracula? Um, yeah, I think there's definitely some ways. I mean, the idea of a vampire bunny is a parody in mm-hmm. and of itself but you have chester taking on the van helsing role but also not being very good at it <laughs> so you know playing up the humor side of it but you also have a um, very clear message at the end of acceptance for the vampire that it's not an inherently evil creature uh-huh. and so that you know this was published in 79 
And you know, in the seventies, there was this transition about how we they started to view traditional monsters. They started to become leading characters and protagonists, uh, sometimes even romantic figures. Um, this time of interview with the vampire being published, and several films where. Uh, you know, vampires could be the lead, not mm-hmm. the villain. Well, and I even remember uh, other kids books that I was reading, like Bruce Coville had uh, like a, a monster of the year book that I remember reading that had mm-hmm. like Dracula and the Wolfman and Frankenstein all as main characters that were sympathetic. Yeah. So this is uh, trickling down from those changes in the seventies um, now to children's literature, which when this was published, children's literature almost wasn't a genre. It, like they wouldn't have divided up of, middle grade and young adult and all these different levels of readers, it would have just been children's literature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like altogether. It's just adult or children. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, this was really where they were just starting to um, separate out into these other things. And, uh, but it did get me thinking about um, like horror literature for kids because you have goosebumps. Uh, it was extremely popular when we were growing up. I don't know if it still is. I think Arl Stein still still uh, uh, yeah I know he still stuff. writes yeah I don't know if uh, Goosebumps is as popular. I, well, they did the two recent films, and I think there's which gonna be... uh, gives me the opportunity to tell one of my favorite stories about your daughter. Uh huh. Um, because she was interested in going to see the first Goosebumps movie, mm-hmm. and I was in town, and so you said you know it's in the Dollar Theater. You know, could you take her to go see it? And um, she'd obviously seen the previews enough to know this. She, so there's early on, there's a scene where a werewolf shows up. And so just before that, she was covering her eyes. And she's like, I, I asked her why. She's like, well, a werewolf's going to show up and I don't want to be scared. And I'm like, well, it's going to be silly. You'll be fine. You know? And after the scene was done, I asked her, you know, if she was okay. And she said, yeah, it, it was fine. And then, uh, the twist happens where all the monsters get released from the books and, they're being led by a ventriloquist dummy. And she leans over to me and whispers, why is that scary? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, yeah. It was a moment of, Oh, you sweet and innocent child. You yeah. don't know yet. <laughs> yes. This is a trope. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be uh, used over and over and over again. Um, but yeah, I still remember like uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. And I think yeah. something like Benicula, though, it is like a predecessor to the convergence of the grotesque and the cute that we're going to mm-hmm. end up with in like Nightmare Before Christmas. And what we get in some of the Studio Ghibli films of uh, something that's horrifying is also kind of cute and cuddly. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those like R.L. Stein and scary stories to tell in the dark, it is um, making horror palatable for kids, but it's not trying to make it cute. Uh, well, and, and I, I will say with something like uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, that was, I I don't remember if I read all three. I, I read at least one, but for me, there was a different sense of taboo of, oh, mm-hmm. I shouldn't be reading this. I'm too young yes. to read this. This yeah. isn't you know, like this is taboo for me, and so I'm you know, I have the thrill of breaking some, some unknown rule that I wasn't aware of by reading <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. De- definitely, and the, the tone of those is much more um, serious and and like deliberately yeah. scary. Like it is trying to be scary. This is um, making it accessible and safe for kids. So yes, but kind it's of like not what Goose, Goosebumps does as well. Yes, but this isn't doing the grotesque side of horror, which something like Nightmare Before Christmas is going to do about a decade later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where it's it's still giving you the grotesque, but also there's something kind of cute and alluring. Sorry, uh, another, another family story real quick. Okay. Uh, about Andrew's daughter. 
uh-huh. um, who loves Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. And so we're babysitting one time and uh, we usually watch something on the Disney Channel. And there was enough time that we were going to pick out a film. And so I was going through suggestions like, well, what about Beauty and the Beast? No, that's too scary. What about, what about Aladdin? No, that's scary. You know what's not scary? Nightmare Before Christmas. There's nothing scary in that. <laughs> and I told this to Andrew later, and he's like, yeah, we have to work with her on our definition of scary. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just think Benicula is an interesting chapter in the like evolution of uh, like the Gothic and mm-hmm. children's, you know, children's media. Which at this point is like, you know, we, we've listed a whole bunch. But yeah, there's that Disney junior show of like Vampirina, I think is the name of this little vampire girl. <laughs> I just know it's not Vampirella. That's a whole no, different that's a very thing. different character. That's a very uh, different thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's uh, I, I think it's it's kind of an important text in in terms of children's media uh, yeah. for that reason as well. And I think it's also the with all this, the idea of you can take traditional monsters, these that have had hundreds of years in some cases, and they can be made safe, but you're not going to get, um, like, even though as children, I was aware of who Freddy Krueger was having never mm-hmm. seen a nightmare on Elm Street film, but you're not going to get some cute version of that. It's these ones that have had tradition built into them. Well, I, I think there's also just the, um, the legal aspect of, of public domain <laughs> that, <laughs> that we could just, we can just do this. Um, whereas yes. with, with those other ones, like there's, there's still right holders that uh, you, you'd have to work through. And I mean, there's still like, uh, I, I think some of those, there's weird lines that are being written, you know, like, like Chucky and um, what, you know, what is it actually trying to appeal to? Who is the audience mm-hmm. for these? Yeah. <laughs> um. I think the, you know, at the top, I just chose, like, we're going to talk about Harold and Chester, because this, the book is titled <laughs> Benicula, A Rabbit Tale of Mystery, great pun, um, and and great portmanteau. Uh, this is not a story about Benicula, really. No, <laughs> Benicula does not speak. He remains a mysterious character throughout. We, you know, not knowing his thoughts or motivations beyond hunger. Um, and, and that's uh, part of the appeal of that type of character. Well, I was going to say, we are in a world where the pets can talk to each other and mm-hmm. where they are extremely intelligent. They can, they, they know exactly what the humans are saying. They can read the human books, um, you pull know, them they, off they, the shelf. They can make full, full plans. Uh, and yet Benicula exists just a field of that. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what do you think is the benefit of having Benicula off to the side? Like you said, there's a mysteriousness that comes with it, but is there anything more about, the enigmatic nature that comes with that of not knowing the motivations, not knowing part of it is still coming out of the tradition of the monsters that the monsters are meant to be unknowable. Mm -hmm. They, and that's part of their threat is that they are unknowable. And so having it, um, Chester and Harold trying to interpret it of what this monster is, um, that makes it accessible, but you still have that barrier of knowledge in place. Yes, and I um like with with things like uh I'm thinking like Creature of the Black Lagoon or mm-hmm. or um Frankenstein, there is a definite separation of um intelligence, right? Where mm-hmm. there's 
I, I well, speaking of the Frankenstein films, not the novel that we talked about at length in a previous episode of the in a, in podcast, a, in a classic episode for a certain reason. <laughs> yes, yes, the was it the first. It was one of the very first without Todd as as co host, right? Oh, there's another reason it might be known. <laughs> what have I forgotten about my own episode of the podcast? <laughs> oh, Joseph, it was my Frankenstein pun run. Oh, yes. Ah, well, speaking of puns, we're, we're on Benicula, a rabbit hill of mystery. Um, but, but you know, in, in that conception of like the kind of like the universal horror universe of monsters, mm. there is a separation. Uh, and again, like this kind of an enigmatic nature of the monster that is both uh, cur- like drives curiosity, but also repels. And if Benicula was able to communicate clearly with Harold and Chester, all that would be gone. And so though there's no explanation for why this one pet is, is operating on a different level than the other pets. I, I think it, it definitely works story wise. Um, yeah. And I think it, by keeping it unknowable, it actually does create empathy because we can relate to some of the basic things of, Oh, it's hungry. I can understand that. Um, but if I know what I was thinking about why does it seek out the vegetables, how it became a vampire, like that would take away some of the magic of the story. And I think some of those questions, like how did it become a vampire? It's better to just never yeah. try and give the the origin story for that. No definitive answer. Mm-hmm. I think Nighty Nightmare uh, does tell a story, but then at the end it says, well, no, I uh, no, that was a made up story. That's not, you know, we don't know what happened. <laughs> Mm, okay i don't i don't it's know been, it's been many years since i've read uh yeah. nightmare so i don't remember <laughs> I, I, I think i know Benicula and uh the, the first three were kind of mm. like the three that i remember the um holiday inn which it ends up being more of like a an agatha christie um, yeah well that was of, i was thinking riff. about that. It was one of the nice thing about those early sequels was each one was kind of doing its own genre so you know this and, one's the gothic holiday inn's the mystery like agatha christie and Celery then Celery Stocks at Midnight is a zombie. A, yeah, it's a zombie or um, by, Invasion of the Body Stashers type paranoia. Mm-hmm. And not, Nighty Nightmare, I remember, was actually kind of scary. I, I, I don't know if I ever read that one. Uh, might have just oh, I, I don't have the dates in front of me when it came out. Yeah. I just might have been too old by the time that one was coming out. Oh, I, I read these several times as, you, as yeah. a young person, but it's been many years since I've okay. revisited all of them. Uh-huh. Um. Let's see. So we've talked a little bit about Benicula and the, you know, the mysteriousness that's present there. But what about Chester and Harold? <laughs> well, you have the great comedic pairing. One big, one small, one smart. The big one's a little not, bit uh, simple. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's not dumb, but uh, he's not well read mm-hmm. like Chester is. And uh, the big one is good natured and... Mm-hmm. The, the smaller, smarter one, it has the edge, right? The, yeah. Well, it's um, the logos and pathos. We don't really have an ethos in here. Yeah. But, you know, Harold's more about the emotional intelligence and Chester's more about the book learning, mm-hmm. uh, which is also the source of his troubles. Is he thinks he knows everything, but um, like he's, he, the books never talk. He reads never talk about a vampire bunny. He doesn't know what to do for, about that. So he tries uh his understanding of things including um the homonym of steak yes which considering that he 
I, I guess we can give him a pass because he, he read steak in the book and heard the pair, the, the family talking about eating steak for dinner. Yeah. So that's where the confusion's going to come. <laughs> um, as a kid, that that killed me. That was great. Oh, yeah. that the, was when good. when he, he oh, lays the raw steak, steak on top of Manicula and starts beating it with his paw. I know. Just that, <laughs> and they have the they have an image of the book, but I'm just imagining this cat pounding at the steak, trying to drive it through a rabbit's heart. <laughs> oh, that was uh, definitely one of the stellar moments. Yeah, it d- d- definitely works well, and and that's one of those things that going back to like James and Deborah, how making up the story in you know in a hospital as this form of therapy like landing on that kind of a pun mm-hmm. i could just see a giggle fit happening yeah <laughs> i could just imagine that um don't, don't know that it actually happened but i can see it in my head <laughs> and so you have um chester kind of driven by logic or at least using logic to justify his paranoia mm-hmm. um and oh that's another one is uh, you know of these dichotomy between these two Chester is so paranoid and suspicious yeah. of everything and everyone's motivations and, you know, vanicula of, uh, and, and he is so certain of his knowledge and his correctness and that I, everyone else is either um, motivated through like maliciousness or stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ignorance. Yes. And Harold is just kind of like affably going along with whatever. Yeah. And, <laughs> Like I said, he has the emotional intelligence, and so that's why he's able to develop empathy for Benicula and, in the end, want to help the bunny and not view it as a threat, even if it is a vampire. Um, and then, as far as their characters, like at this point, there's there's another dog that comes into the next book, right? Um, at the they adopt him at the very end, and then becomes the main, uh, one of the a trio in Celery Socks at Midnight. That's Howie. Okay. Um, uh, Dutch Hound Puppy, really, if I recall correctly. Th- th- there's no other characters. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, like, there's yeah, the Monroes like, uh, yeah. who are there to introduce the antagonist to Chester, basically. <laughs> yeah. But they don't... I mean, I guess they They're thwart... Not, they don't drive the story. No, they thwart some of Chester's attempts to harm Panicula. Um. I will say, like, the family dynamic uh, felt authentic of these two siblings who bicker, but still obviously love each other. Mm-hmm. Um, parents putting up with it. Are they both – do they both have jobs? I can't remember. Yes, the mom's a lawyer. That's and right. And dad's an English professor. That's right. Yeah. part of why Chester is so well-read. Because I, I was going to say – I wanted to say that one of them was a lawyer for sure. Yeah. And um, – and then I was trying to latch on to the other one. Yeah. I, so. I think the line for the dad was he would practice his lectures on Chester. And if Chester didn't fall asleep, then he knew he had a good lecture. <laughs> and as an English professor yourself, Joe, I'm sure you appreciate that. Yeah, that's that's good pedagogy right there. <laughs> that, um, if a cat is, can understand, surely my students can. It's still the go-to method used <laughs> by most professors. Uh, really, uh, all, all English professors must have a cat. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. So there's that. <laughs> I, I have the exception to, to prove the rule, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, this is not gonna be one of our longest episodes. There's not much <laughs> in terms of story to dig through. And yet everything that's there feels right. And I don't think it needs more. Well, what it's trying to do. It's, it goes back to the um, Roger Ebert said about 
judging films, sometimes the question you need to ask is what is the film trying to accomplish and how well does it do that? And not, is this like the deepest piece of art ever created in human history? <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, and what is this book trying to, to accomplish? Well, it's trying to entertain kids and uh, tell a safe Gothic story that is riddled with puns. <laughs> um, there's in the 40th anniversary, they have um, some short pieces by various other authors who at this point probably grew up with the story as well. And I'm, I wish I had it in front of me. I'm trying to remember what one of them said. So I apologize if it's misquoted, but uh, they said the lesson they learned from binoculars that weirdness doesn't equal difference. So just because something might be weird doesn't mean you have to other it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Chester's busy othering it the whole time, but in a story, binoculars is part of the family. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, no matter how, how different he might be. But, and then I would also add like um, Chester, you know, views binoculars as an antagonist. And yet, there's still a fondness that the reader develops for Chester. It's not like mm-hmm. Chester is the bully or the villain. He is the bully yeah, or the villain. I mean, but I think there's some empathy that we still have for Chester. Because uh, uh, his motivation is uh, what, like misguided in terms of what he thinks he knows. But he thinks he's keeping the world safe. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's good. I said that uh, Chester and Harold were a comedic duo. And Chester, in some of his own antics, is comedic. And that makes us like him. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it, yeah he could have been a very strident figure but they temper him enough that we're able to um, enjoy him as readers as well partly because of the comedy and I think there's also there is a lack of a threat from Chester in the, <laughs> that the readers feel I mean in reality a cat killing a bunny is something that has probably happened in more than one household where these two kinds of pets have coexisted like cats can be hunters. Uh, they are predators. And uh, Chester's threat to Benicula is never that visceral. Yeah. Um, like his, his attack is laying garlic in front of the bunny cage or laying a piece of raw meat across, <laughs> across Benicula. It's not attacking Benicula with his own claws and fangs. Yeah. Yes. He doesn't act like a cat would. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that makes the whole process of Chester trying to out Benicula as a vampire and stop what he perceives as the threat of Benicula. Uh, like you said, m- far more comical and palatable than it, than it probably would be to see a cat attacking a bunny. Mm-hmm. Um, what but, about this idea of the threat of Benicula? Like, is there, is there a threat? <laughs> like, what are we supposed to make of this, of this bunny rabbit named Benicula? Yeah, I think, well, we should just start with the idea that, uh, it's a vampire, so vampires are threats. But then when you get vampire bunny and really understand what that means, that you have these vegetables going white and make that connection of, oh, it's just drinking juice from vegetables. It's not actually threatening humans. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the vegetables can turn into vampires and build an army. One of the future books is the celery stalks. Him in yes. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, like, so yeah, if you, well, you get there and it's, yeah, it's an inherently silly idea, mm-hmm. um, which makes it enjoyable. Yeah. I, I think maybe silliness is underrated as something that can still be quality storytelling. Well, we all, I'm sure everyone watches bluey. And knows how mm-hmm. silliness can be entertaining. 
yeah, I mean, silliness, for especially if for the tone that this story is trying to strike of somewhat gothic, somewhat vampire, but also leaning into puns uh, and like the idea of the vegetables being white in the vegetable crisper. <laughs> like there's just <laughs> something ridiculous about that. Yeah. Um, and it it's fun. It's good. This is good writing. This is good writing that's accomplishing what its goal is. Well, there's a reason why it's stayed in publication for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, this may be one of the short episodes because, you know, it's, it's a pretty quick read. There's not a ton of plot. The, the depth of the theme, I, I like what you pulled about like weirdness not needing to be othered. Um, but it's also just a good kid story mm-hmm. that isn't trying to like give an Aesop's fable moral at the end or anything like that. Well, and I said, like this was, you know, that transition towards children's literature in the publication market. But for me, it was something of like when I first read it, yes, it was challenging, but it was also something I could comprehend. And I, yeah, like I had to work through it at first, but there was enough to keep me going to work mm-hmm. through it. I will say one thing that stands out for my kids in a negative way. One nit to pick in particular is that I can't remember the name of the Monroe child, Monroe child, but one of the boys will feed Harold a chocolate hostess cupcake. Yes. And I recall that in the first version I have, there's a note at the end of saying, don't feed dog or dog's <laughs> chocolate. It's not in subsequent versions, but I remember there somewhere there's a note saying, Dogs are really actually allergic to chocolate. Harold's an exception. Don't feed your dog chocolate. <laughs> I, I did not know they yeah. put a, a warning I, in there, but yeah, my kids just know. It's, some, it's somewhere. I I remember that. Because we have a dog and they know what the dog can and can't have. And they're like, chocolate, chocolate what? Is, is definitely one of those things. <laughs> so that's my only, my only complaint, I guess. Yes, they, um, and there's uh, backstories that were written, um, the house were cat owners. They did not have a dog when they wrote this. Oh, okay. So they, they would not have come across that. Or, and, and the editor, whoever was the editor did not pick up on that either. Yes. <laughs> I just like that. There's now a little bit of lore, like behind the scenes explanations that are coming about the dog eating the chocolate cupcake. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, John, do you so, have any final thoughts? On well, I, I did want to go touch on the adaptations a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I, I did go and watch the, uh, 8283 special on um, YouTube. And so what I remembered from watching it years ago was a scene of the Monroe's being chased in one of those giant pipes um, being chased by wolves. That did not happen, but there were, (laughs) there were elements that you can see where I got it from. So you invented a false memory. Yes. uh, um, be- partly because it was so different from the book. Mm-hmm. And so rewatching it, there's maybe five minutes that come from the book of this half hour special. Yeah. No, it was when I said like an after school movie, it was really just like a, a special of, yeah, like, is it 30 it was, minutes? Is that the length? Yeah. And it was a program where they were adapting literature for like Saturday morning. Uh huh. And so, uh, in this version, Mr. Monroe is not an English professor. He is a scientist at the uh, food processing plant, a plant that employs everyone in the city. And Mrs. Monroe 
is not a lawyer. She is a housewife, though. In one scene, there was someone else in the house doing housework. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And there, but there are, been accidents going on in the plant uh, that lead some to think the plant is haunted, but one accident causes it to be shut down, uh, you know, destroying the livelihood of everyone in town. Uh-huh. And I will say that there's a moment where they cut to the shot of the plant. Again, yeah. a food processing plant. There were 12 smokestacks churning out pollution. For food processing. Yes. there were 12 smokestacks. 12 smokestacks doing this. Um. And so uh, uh, they find Benicula near the plant. It's like uh, in weeds just off the road. They they find Benicula and take him home. And then when they're home, that's where you get the five minutes of Chester and Harold kind of being like the book. But then uh, when Benicula sneaks out at night, it's not to go to the fridge. He goes to a neighbor's garden. But this has been happening for a few nights and the neighbors are on alert. And so they find the white tomato and bunny prints. And they say, well, the Monroes are the only people in town who have a bunny. So they form a mob to go to the Monroe's house <laughs> and get Benicula. I think part of the I think part of the logic was its name is Benicula. That sounds like Dracula. <laughs> and, um, who knows what other neighbors have bunnies? Like who even knows I know, that? I know. It's like, how do you know that only the Monroes have a bunny? And so Chester and Harold uh sneak Benicula out of the house, but the mob chases after them. It's the middle of the night. They are all dressed in bathrobes. And they're at one point they're crossing the creek in their bathrobes. And that's where they uh Harold, Chester, and Benicula go through a storm drain, which is where I got the image of the circular pipe. Okay. And they go to the food processing plant. Except wolves have also broken into the plant. So you did have wolves. Yeah, so pipe. like okay. you can see where I was getting elements of it. Right. <laughs> and so um, apparently when Benicula is in moonlight, it develops telekinetic powers because it lifts up the wor- wolves with its mind and puts them in a clear vat, mm-hmm. thus mm-hmm. explaining why all the accidents were happening. The plant is able to reopen. Um, but then at back at home, the boys are, who hadn't been, really been featured in this story at all are asking, well, why was Benicula sneaking out to get food? And the dad goes, I know why. You, you know, and he pulls out a uh, old lettuce from a bag. He's like, "This is the f- the vegetables we bought when we picked up Benicula two weeks ago, and they've just been sitting on this table in this bag. <laughs> <laughs> no one's been feeding Benicula, nor putting the vegetables away. <laughs> it, it was so weird. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> interesting choices being. Yes, it's like okay. Uh, yeah, it's like not. The Benicula story. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, as Murphy mentioned, the uh, Cartoon Network show, which is a bit less of a Benicula, of the Benicula story, where Benicula is just this supernatural being. Um, I, I haven't seen, again, I haven't seen episodes fully, but you know, when I saw it, it was, there was part where his ears turn into bat wings mm-hmm. that let him fly, but also he popped his head off his body. Yeah, and, like, uh, I haven't watched a ton of it. Um, like I've been, I've, I know my kids have had it on, like in a car drive. Yeah. Uh, when, when we're, uh, you know, going somewhere, they had it on the car DVD player and hearing it. And the visual, um, it reminded me a bit of the early '90s Beetlejuice cartoon. Mm-hmm. 
I know um, what you're talking about. Yeah, and and so, it, which is gothic. It just doesn't feel quite like Benicular. Like these are different yeah. flavors of gothic. Yeah. So what I would like from an adaptation, and like this is a short book. I understand if you can't get a eighty minute movie out of this, mm-hmm. you know. But if you could do like a 40, 45 minute television special, you probably could get the, enough for that. Right. But Jim Henson Creature Shop does okay. the pets. I'm, I'm, anytime you mention Jim Henson, I'm yeah. there with you. So carry well, on. You're like, like <laughs> we know, like they had um, a couple of series where there's an old man and his dog. Like mm-hmm. this, there was a storyteller series. Yeah, it was on HBO. Mother. It was a storytellers, yeah. or and, uh, and there was remember. the dog appeared in some other stuff too. Uh-huh. But like that kind of dog as Harold, mm-hmm. or like that, um, you, the uh, the dog in Fraggle Rock. Yeah, that's yeah, that's where else it appeared is Fraggle Rock. That's right. And like, if you can do for that, you can also do Chester, and there's your main cast. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then uh, also a uh, you know a, a Muppet Bunny that's yeah. just there. <laughs> yeah, so that would be my ideal. Is some company works with Jim Henson and Creature Shop and does a nice special, ridiculous special, uh, using the puppetry. I mean, I mean, Muppets are owned by Disney. Disney Plus is just sitting right there. Yeah, the, the Creature Shop is separate from Muppets. Mm, right. Yeah, still. Yeah. So that, like, <laughs> that's why the Dark Crystal series, which was excellent, even though it was only one season. That was that on was, Netflix. That right? was, went to Netflix because mm. that was a separate entity from... It was in the Muppets. The, the Muppets. It's also why Sesame Street is separate as well from the Creature Shop. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, so I'll, once you start getting into all the rights, it's yeah. a mess. <laughs> all right. Well, John, thank you for coming on to talk about Benicula. You're quite welcome. And uh, listeners, thank you for downloading this episode. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at ProtagonistPod or at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at DizMinute. And our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash ProtagonistPodcast. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. And I actually went and corrected the Wikipedia article because I was reading her biography on Wikipedia and it talked about that and his biography. And I looked at the dates. But then when you looked at the Benicula Wikipedia article, it said that she passed away shortly after it was published. I'm like, no, no, no. I've, I've confirmed the- these dates on a few different sites and I clicked through the links, confirmed the dates. I'm like, nope, it was before. So I changed the Wikipedia the, article. They had completed a draft at least. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. if, they had, if they had done many revisions, but they had at least yeah. completed a whole draft. Let me just check one thing. I tweeted out a joke that is very funny and it has not gotten a single like yet. I'm going to share it with you real quick. Okay. So Southwest Airlines tweeted out, we teamed up with Guitar Center to surprise a flight full of customers from Long Beach to Honolulu with ukuleles and free lessons during the flight. By the time <laughs> oh, they arrived, oh. they were all pros. And I, I, I quote tweeted this and said, this is act one of a Jean-Paul Sartre play. <laughs> and no one has liked that. <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs>
Philistines. <laughs>